Hold on a second, put down your phone Welcome to the feckin' check-in show We might be playing Tekken in the techno-drome With Shredder and Spencer but never Donatello The boys are back in town again, shenanigans from QO Man, the listener can't stop panicking Now tell your friends to listen to the sound of us Pissing in the wind And if you feel like joining in, then do it for the win the sun shines, but I find myself in isolation But fear not, we've got beer at the cooking station Audio and video flows are coming for you The trainer at Jimmy's show, it's cameras action do The feckin' checkin', so check your feckin' pulses Lentils, soybeans, chickpeas, whatever indulgence Takes your fancy snakes, ladders, or piss politics Just sit back and relax, we've got your weekly fix It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' check-in show It's the feckin' check-in show It's the feckin' check-in show It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack should do Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Feckin' Check-In I'm Trainer and with me as always is my co-host Toomey How are you doing on this Saturday afternoon Toomey? Good morning, yes, Saturday afternoon, I'm not too bad, how are you, uh, Trader, is your name? <laughs> I'm pretty good, yeah, that's my name, don't wear it out, uh, or do, whatever you want, it's up to you really. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty good as well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, I'm raring to go for this episode of the Feckin' Check-In. Well, anything to report from a personal standpoint before we launch in? Yes, I have something very important to report, and it relates to mis- misheard song lyrics uh, which we referred to in a previous episode. And this is a case of definitely the misheard song lyrics being better than the actual song lyrics. This relates to the boys' own song from the mid-1990s, Isn't It a Wonder? So as you can hear there, the uh, lyrics are, isn't it a wonder, as a new baby cries, and isn't it a wonder with the sweetness in my eyes. I always thought that was, isn't it a wonder, as a newborn baby cries, isn't it a wonder with the sweetness in your eyes. I thought the singer or the author was talking to somebody else that they'd seen sweetness in their eyes. But no, the protagonist is referring to the sweetness in his eyes. Sweetness in his own eyes. Dr. Phil would refer to that as a malignant narcissist. I suppose maybe the the protagonist is remarking on the sweetness in his eyes at the baby crying. So he finds sweetness in that, maybe. But yeah, it's still vain, vain, arrogant, malignant narcissism. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought I'd uh, throw that one in as a red herring. Anything from your life to report, Trader? Not really, no. No, I'm just ready to go here for the feckin' check-in. Nothing to report, really. I had a day off work yesterday. Um and had some social casual zoom drinks with my project so i got to see everybody's face in some cases for the first time and uh, i confused who certain people were which was kind of funny um people had different names up on their zoom chat windows because they were using devices from their family and uh, somebody i've been talking to every day i, I refer to as a different name so that was that was pretty funny but uh, <laughs> other than that no but i've never met a lot of these people in real life so in some cases they look a lot different to their profile pictures um on the work uh, intranet you know 
Well, as long as you weren't talking about one of them about the other one, then... then no, you know, no, okay. I wasn't. No, there was like about 15 people on the call, so yeah, I was just... I just uh, a, a case of mistaken identity, and uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. I was like, "Oh, you're person X." <laughs> <laughs> Will we kick off the feckin' check-in? So, yeah, let's do that. The the uh, podcast about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. Kernels of truth, of course. Okay, let's start. So, what's your funny observation of the week, Toomey? Yeah, my F of the week in the feck acronym relates to poor audio and background and general presentation in professional entertainment that is delivered through Zoom calls. Um, so I don't mind it like if you're talking to your office colleagues um, uh, through Zoom and you see their background, it's usually a shelf or their kitchen or whatever. But when it's something like a, an online conference or an interview with a famous person and they just have shite behind them and they have shite uh, microphone quality, sound quality, sorry, um, they have these Apple earbuds. It seems to be a memo went around that you have to have Apple earbuds, uh, which seems to be wireless uh, microphone attached within them. And the sound quality isn't great. And I just think, I don't know if it's even funny, but... <laughs> but <laughs> waiting for the punchline here, brother. <laughs> but uh, I just found it a bit bizarre that like uh, there's all this, like it's supposed to be professionally professionally presented entertainment that is advertised and look forward to it and it's just someone in a t-shirt in their kitchen with a bit with a milk stain on their on their t-shirt a milk stain <laughs> uh, i assume you're for referring to something very specific here so do you want to enlighten us about what what you were watching or listening to that was terrible quality i first of all noticed it on late night chat shows with like you know jimmy fallon and people like that in the in the u.s and uh, he was just there in his home. And I thought he could, could develop it a bit more like professionally. Like people on, um, not YouTube, but that other streaming video thing that we had a go at on a while ago. Bebo, is it? <laughs> not Bebo, no. The, uh, you know that streaming thing that we... Twitch. Twitch, yeah. <laughs> Twitch. Like even the people on that uh, have like the green screen backgrounds. They have really good sound quality. They have different features on the screen. They can produce like a professional presentation. But people on Jimmy Fallon or uh, the online conference, which is actually, it was a conference with, to do with technology and the future of the world in health and things like various things. Um, but it was just, it was some expert, but they're just sitting at home in their kitchen or their living room. And it's just like, I don't know. It just can't get into it. It's just, the yeah, props okay, are yeah. all gone. Milk stains are not acceptable, certainly not. Not in Zoom age, not in any age. Uh, yeah, they might as well be like eating cereal as they're talking to you. <laughs> okay, so you're saying maybe with the, the way things are at the moment, their professional standards have dropped. Um, production standards maybe have been lowered. Apple earbuds, poor microphones, milk stains. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's... Uh could be easily fixed with a bit of effort like green screen you can i could order a green screen or we could on amazon and just put it behind us and have a nice background yeah and i have a question about that actually does any any green matter suffice as a green screen or does it have to be made of a particular type of material how does that actually work i don't know okay <laughs> <laughs> i just wondered that myself recently because i see people um where they'll show you the green screen and then they'll show you that they're on top of the Empire State Building or something like that. And I was just wondering, is it is the colour the important part of that, the important component, or is it actually the material it's made out of? Anyway, sure. We will we will go and research that for next week. Yeah, maybe the listener could and, and write into us on Twitter or something. Yes, it's at Feck and Check In on Twitter. We don't promote that enough, actually, on this podcast. We should do that at the end. Um, yes. Okay, right. So that's, okay, great, um, milk stains. 
if you're doing it, just stop it. Uh, Not really funny observation, more of an observation. Back over to you, trainer, for your funny observation of the week. Okay. Right, so again, this is kind of a collection of things. I, I found the list format worked quite well last week, listing four different things. So I'm going to do a list of four uh, of the best put-downs in film and TV history. Of course, these are not actually the best put-downs in film and TV history. There's two that are widely known, and there's two that are very personal to me that I just quite enjoy and, and tickle me, if you will. Um, and the first two are so obscure that clips of them don't actually exist on the internet so i'm just gonna have to act <laughs> these out <laughs> as i see fit um so the first two one of, the first one is from coronation street right so uh I, I don't i don't actually watch coronation street anymore but i used to watch it for years as i'm sure you did as well in your in your family home absolutely um, growing up absolutely um so this put down is from the character peter barlow long-standing character in a uh, Coronation Street, and the person he's speaking to is Nick Tilsley. Again, Nick Tilsley has been in Coronation Street for a very long time. So there's an exchange between Peter and Nick, and Peter is quite annoyed at Nick, and he says to him, "Sling your smarmy yuck." <laughs> right? That's <laughs> so a good one. I love the phrase "sling your hook." It's such a British colloquialism, and it's 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 perfect, brilliant as it is. Right? Sling your hook. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Get away from me. But he adds in the word "smarmy" as well. So this Nick, because <laughs> <laughs> Nick Tilsley is smarmy. That's oh, it's <laughs> it's the epitome of what he is. He's absolutely a smarm uh, dealer. Uh, so yeah, so he adds in the word "smarmy" to sling your hook. So sling your smarmy hook. Uh, I just thought it was. An excellent piece of writing and excellently delivered by Peter Barlow. And for some reason, I've remembered that for years. Um, and I've, I've tried to come up with a way to use it in, in real life, but I haven't, haven't been able to. So here it is for everybody to listen to. That's a great one. It doesn't completely make sense, but in another way, it's a very satisfying one to hear. And it gets into smarmy insult in there. Yeah. So he's like, not just slinger hook, slinger smarmy hook. Obviously, the hook itself isn't smarmy, but, but Nick is smarmy. So, it, it, you know, the, 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 the meaning has gotten across by that. So, uh, yeah, I just I've absolutely love that one. Great start. Put down number one. Put down number two is from EastEnders. So this is, um, this is from about 20 years ago in EastEnders, actually, as well. So, or, or probably maybe 15 years ago. So Phil Mitchell, um, who played a, an on-and-off alcoholic, or I suppose just an alcoholic, on uh, EastEnders. Uh, I think this was during one of his drinking phases. And he was either married to or going out with a character called Lisa. At one point, Phil and uh, Lisa are at odds with one another. And uh, Phil is in his, his flat or his, his living quarters in the, at the back of the um, the Queen Vic. And Lisa comes over and they're, they're having some birthday for somebody. I can't remember, some other character, they're having a birthday. And uh, there's another female character in the room. And Lisa comes in, but Lisa and Phil are at odds with each other at the moment. And just to, to lighten the mood or to lower the tension, the other character is like, Lisa, would you like some cake? And Phil barks, as only Phil Mitchell can, she ain't having cake! <laughs> <laughs> now, it's probably not as memorable as some of the next ones I'm going to say. But <laughs> is, it, is it due to the, the venom or the way he says it? Or? It's the way he delivers it. And the fact is like, you're not having any fucking cake. <laughs> you're not worthy of cake, Lisa. You slag. <laughs> is is uh, was Phil a domineering character, and what is he, yeah, was he controlling yeah. uh, Lisa's dietary patterns? No, no, it's just uh, it's like it's like basically he's saying that fucking bitch isn't having any of our cake. <laughs> oh, she's not worthy of cake. Don't don't be offering her fucking cake. <laughs> she ain't having any cake. But, uh, me and my brother uh, Rob uh, have just repeated this and drunkenly shouted sometimes. Uh, 
apropos of nothing um but yeah it's just it's one of those classics again it's just stuck with me and i can't find a clip of it online or the eastenders script that it was from which i have looked up but i <laughs> can't seem to find it oh, that's a brilliant i'd say uh, lisa felt extremely unwelcome in that scenario yeah she did yeah and, and she didn't have any cake um so there we go. There, there's two very obscure put-downs from soaps from 15 to 20 years ago. Um, British, British soaps as well. So really, really uh, kind of obscure shit there that's just stuck in my brain. Um, the next one is from um, Carlito's Wave. This one is uh, Al Pacino sitting in a nightclub and this kind of criminal, who was a lowly kind of criminal around the start of the film, comes up now and he's all flashy and he's got a few of his heavies around him. And Al Pacino isn't giving him the time of day. And the guy is like, uh, we met before, maybe I don't remember. And Al Pacino goes, maybe I don't give a shit. Maybe I don't remember the last time I blew my nose either. <laughs> I swear. Which I just think is excellent. He's like, he's saying so unworthy of you are you of my memory that i i associate you with blowing my fucking nose uh, that's how insignificant you are to me a classic al pacino hey mr bugante it's the second time you turn me down for a drink man well you don't like my champagne hey it could be i don't know maybe it's a misfucking understanding here i don't know man maybe you don't remember me my name is maybe Benny i don't Bunker. give a shit maybe i don't remember the last time i blew my nose either who the fuck are you? I should remember you. <laughs> what, you think you like me? You ain't like me, motherfucker. You a punk. I've been with made people. Connected people. Who you been with? Chain snatching, jive ass, modicum motherfuckers. <laughs> Why don't you get lost? Go ahead, snatch your purse. Come on, take a fucking walk. This next one is from Glengarry Glen Ross. It's also Al Pacino. So Al Pacino is admonishing Kevin Spacey's character, the office manager. I'm going to be with you in a second. What you're hired for is to help us. Does that seem clear to you? To help us, not to fuck us up. To help men who are going out there to try to earn a living, you fairy. You company man. So Kevin Spacey is like a worthless prick character in this film. And Al Pacino is the domineering sales uh, salesman in the office. And uh, yeah, I just love the way he, he phrases you company man. You're like, you're nothing. You're petty. You're insignificant. Um, and I just think that's excellent, excellent series of put downs there from Al Pach in his prime. Yeah, there's some great dialogue in that movie, actually. And now that you mentioned it, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time it's one of those ones that seems to go under the radar uh don't know if you'd agree with that or yeah i think it does um because it was i don't know it wasn't big budget it was based on a play it was all shot basically in one room and it's a very much a, an acting film with I, i've tried to explain it to people who haven't seen it and it's a hard sell with no pun intended obviously a film is about sales but um it's just the performances of the actors, I think. It's specifically Al Pacino and, and Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's playing the older kind of salesman who's like I've got one last big kind of sale left in him, which the character the character Gil from The Simpsons was actually based on him. Um, but, but some of the language in it, I was watching a few clips in advance of this, some of the language today would certainly not be acceptable. Lots of uh, homophobic slurs in that one. And we're going to get to that in uh, in a bit, uh, the, the censorship of TV, films, and all that type of stuff. But uh, before we do, we will go on to your entertainment point for the week, please. My wife, Robin McGraw. Uh, that is a little <laughs> impression of Dr. Phil because my entertainment of the week is uh, Mystery and Murder Analysis by Dr. Phil. It's a podcast where... The uh, former psychologist, Dr. Phil, uh, 
dramatizes murders that have happened and, and, and provides analysis of them, including interviews with the victims and uh, the oh. people who committed the crimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and giving advice to the family and how they should cope with what, what's happened and basically <laughs> judging them. Oh, yes. Very much so. And uh, me and uh, my fiance Liz listen to Dr. Phil uh, most nights now. Um, one of the reasons why is because it's so bad, it's, it's, it's good, and we laugh at Dr. Phil all the time. But the second reason is that he dumbs it down so much that we can fall asleep or doze off, and he will repeat what's happened multiple times in the episode. So you, it's really easy to keep track when you're somebody who falls asleep. So I would often fall asleep halfway through an episode, and rather than go back and have to listen to it again, I would just start from, like, say, episode two, and he will repeat it. <laughs> He'll summarize it again and again and again. Uh. <laughs> Aaron had a very different button being pushed. Up until this point, it was all about family. It was all about mom and dad and siblings in the family unit. But now, this was somebody else telling her she was beautiful and interesting and wonderful. And it made her feel different. Remember, she's 16. She's very hormonal at this point. She's sexually sensitive. She's really tuned in to the social environment. She likes being part of a couple. She likes being involved with someone aside from her family. You can't even go five seconds as a listener without being critical of this. Because he even starts off with, My wife, Robin McGraw has this fantastic, fast-acting serum. <laughs> and he does this at the start of every episode, unashamedly. And he says, the only place you can get it is on Robin McGraw's website, which isn't a great sign. And he also says that it's uh, 50% off. <laughs> so so uh, something, something that's perpetually on sale isn't 50% off anymore. That's just the price. Exactly. And the fact that it's not on sale anywhere else is a bad sign. So he does that unashamedly at the start of every single episode. And then he goes in to describe the episode. And then he goes, at the end of his sort of introduction, he goes, You're with uh, Murder and Mystery, Analysis by Dr. Phil. I'm Dr. Phil. <laughs> and the, the, to go back to the serum advertisement at the start, he uses this, the word serum to describe what a serum is as well. <laughs> so if you notice, he's like, it's this fascinating serum. And what it is, it's just a serum. <laughs> what, the, what the fuck is a serum anyway? It's just one of those made-up words for cosmetics. There is no such thing as a serum. It's like a, 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 like a, a villain in Batman would have like the serum that would poison fucking Gotham or something. <laughs> Exactly, and he delivers it so earnestly, like like he's like showing off that he knows about serums. You're you're a, f- a former psychologist, Doctor Phil. You you retired your license in two thousand and eight. You've been dispensing psychological advice in the absence of a license uh, for over twelve years, uh, <laughs> and now you're you're trying to sell serum to us. I, I, do you know what? I think the man is a charlatan. A charlatan. <laughs> He, oh, there was, there was, I was, I was looking up some stuff online. Apparently, he went and visited Britney Spears by her bedside and was giving her psychological advice, again, without a license, um, when Britney Spears was going through her, her issues there a few years ago. Oh, he, he's, he's a hack. He is a hack. And he, he puts all these people on TV and he, he goes around uh, people who are generally like from a, a poor background and 
uh, not the best educated and he kind of puts them on TV and they don't probably don't a lot of them probably don't know better as you said in your uh, review it's aimed at middle America Bible Belt kind of thing yeah kind so like he's like again I don't want to trivialize the murder that took place it was a horrific murder where multiple people were killed there was like people were shot stabbed beheaded like it's disgusting crime obviously we'll just we'll just give a quick uh, description of that so basically it was uh, a family was murdered in their own home as they were sleeping um, and the home was burned down but the uh, father survived the, the he was shot multiple times but he still survived and he crawled out of the house while it was burning uh, and he, he found that his children were dead and his wife was dead but it turned out that he, one of his daughters was actually alive and that she had been an accomplice in the murder with her boyfriend and another couple of teenagers so they, they came in in one night randomly with uh, guns and uh, a, a sword I decapitated the the wife uh, shot everyone in there <laughs> sorry I don't know why I'm laughing it's just I'm not, it's just because it's so horrible and it's, it's also his delivery of it as well he makes it all like uh, like I said an early 1990s episode of Unsolved Mysteries he trivializes the whole thing and sensationalizes it to the point where it is actually funny it, it's his delivery of it yeah and there's bits like where he links how the the daughter comes into the influence of the boyfriend as a result of her having sex with him. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's all, it's really seedy and it's, it's steeped in Christianity, like to a sickening degree, I think. Yeah. He's like, uh, she was a young, she was a good catch. A 16 year old girl. She, she was a petite, pretty blonde, actually. Yeah. He says it to start sexualizing yeah. her from the start. Yeah. She was at a sexually sensitive age. Or did you know what else? So like at, at the start as well, I know this is probably a bit all over the place, but my my thoughts on this are a bit all over the place. But he like he he paints the family as church going, as if that makes them better members of society. And he he pretty much lost me there. I was like, he's like they used to go to uh, church. Uh, they they went to Bible study on Wednesday. Uh, they went to church on Sunday, and they set aside several hours each week to practice gospel songs. Uh, like he might as well be telling me they watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Wednesday, watch Popeye on Sunday. <laughs> And sang the team tune to Roger Ramjet for fucking three hours a week because it's it's irrelevant to me as a listener. It's like it, it, because they're Christians, because they go to church, inverted commas, they're almost somehow better members of society. And then this guy poisoned, poisoned her against the church, poisoned Aaron and turned her against God. And it's like it, it, it's, it, it's almost like I'm being preached at and he's a preacher. That's what I felt like for, for, for most of the episode. I completely agree with that. And he's from the area. He's from from Texas, where most of these episodes are set. And um he is a Christian himself, and that, that comes across uh, quite apparently. And he says things like, Erin, uh, the, the girl who was involved in the murders, uh, one day at church, her singing performance was way off, and her younger brother sang much better than her. The church noted this. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, and, and some of the language he uses is just pathetic. Again, for somebody who has such a lengthy career in broadcasting and is alleged, allegedly a doctor of something, has a doctorate in something, uh, almost immediately, she and Charlie became virtually inseparable. So tell me, how can something be almost immediately? It's either immediately or it's not. That's, that's a superlative. Uh, virtually inseparable. How can people be virtually inseparable? You're either inseparable or you're not. Like, stop fucking it, he dumbs it down to a ridiculous degree when terry noticed the ring at a church function she was not even almost happy 
I feel like I'm fucking being spoken to like, oh, like, like a five-year-old, a five-year-old who hasn't gone to mass. <laughs> and it's so slow and he repeats himself over and over again. Oh, it's so bad. And then later on in that series, I know you probably listened to the first episode of it, but later on he is judging the uh, the uh, the father who survived all of what happened. He's judging the way he's coping. So he's saying, you're in denial about what really went on. <laughs> Just as a final point, it's it's a, actually a chilling um, example of somebody going beyond their qualifications and their expertise and the responsibility that's given to you as like a, someone who's like a doctor or a psychologist. When you start going beyond your training and beyond your, your license and start telling people whatever you think from your personal experience or like is the right thing to do that's that's not the way you should do it you should be following guidelines and following kind of the science and things like that and the up-to-date treatment yeah and and the bible thumping as well just takes me completely out of it like it's it, there's no objectivity in it at all it's steeped steeped in wholesome christianity um and anything that's not for the church or in the benefit of the church is seen as bad or wrong um i just i can't listen to somebody like that i just find it impossible well, apologies for introducing you to, <laughs> to this. At the same time, it was very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so bad, it's good. Great. Okay, enough on Dr. Phil. Let's go over to your E, your entertainment observation for this week, trainer. This is going to be about TV shows being removed from streaming services due to racist remarks or racist characters in the shows. And it is one of these things where it's, there is cognitive dissonance, I think, in my mind. And, and I don't really have a fully formed opinion on it, but I think I'd like to discuss it anyway. So an episode of Faulty Towers was pulled from the BBC iPlayer, the famous The Germans episode, where uh, Basil Faulty famously marches around and says, don't mention the war. But there are some racial slurs used in that episode as well, by certainly by the major character, the older uh, character who lives in the hotel. Uh, you've got episodes of The Inbetweeners have now been pulled from Channel 4's YouTube page although they've said that was because of a changing of the ownership rights rather than uh, actual uh, dialogue in the show or characters in the show that's a bit suspicious suspicious timing there but anyway uh, then you've got the likes of uh, Bo Selecta, Little Britain um, as well have also been pulled from the BBC iPlayer and I'm just like I'm wondering is this just gone a bit too far should should we shield everybody from racism like, I actually mentioned on the Tony Kelly episode that episodes of Faulty Terrors don't date well because of racist comments. And I also mentioned that um, The Office doesn't date, date well, I think, because of homophobic comments in it. And when you watch it in 2020, um, with the mindset of the everybody now, it, you just kind of, you don't laugh at it as much. Like, you're like, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a bit uncomfortable or just sticks out a bit. But I don't think... I don't think really that people need to be shielded from that. Like, I think it's more, it's like a historical artifact, I think. And if you remove racism from everything, if you remove homophobia from everything, if you remove misogyny from things, uh, half of the rock music of the 70s and 80s, you could never listen to it anymore. Films that were released in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s are all going to have to be reviewed by whoever is 
reviewing things and deciding what we can and can't watch. And you like you you, you basically are, are shielding everybody from everything and pretending it doesn't exist. And it did exist. Racism did exist and does exist. And homophobia did exist and does still exist. And it was worse years ago and it got better. And I, tr- I think removing all the references and instances of that from art, from stuff that's been out there in the public domain, or maybe not the public domain, but stuff, that, stuff that's been freely available for decades, all of a sudden deciding that it needs to be censored. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, I think it's it's one that I would probably have cognitive dissonance on as well because I agree that historically that's the way society was back then and there's no point shielding ourselves from that. But I think times move on uh, and our standards now are different to what they were back then. Um, so I guess the question is, should you show things from the past that are from when our standards and values were different? Should you show them now to to the current audience in the risk that it's in you know now that it's inappropriate for now so should you show things from the past that are inappropriate well like this is maybe a bit extreme here but are we going to start editing history books as well like uh, you know atrocities happened racist people existed um and it's it's historical and it's relevant to its time it's of its time it's just like I knew when I was 10 years old, when I was watching that episode of Faulty Towers from 1975, I knew that when the major says the N-word in that, that I was not supposed to say that word because I was educated about racism from a young age. I knew you weren't supposed to say the N-word. I knew you weren't supposed to go around uh, mocking German people. And I knew I wasn't supposed to be racist. But I loved Faulty Towers when I was younger, and I still love it now. But it's about, I think it's about educating people rather than censoring everything. I'm all for putting a disclaimer at the start of the show saying this episode is from 1975 and views and opinions uh, featured within it are of the characters based on that time period and they're not reflective of how the BBC thinks in 2020 or whatever, something like that. I think that's actually a very good and original solution. I hadn't heard that one. And it's different than if new content was produced with those racial slurs and homophobia in it. It, This is historical content. Um, Yeah, so... So I think that's a good solution there. Exactly. And you can choose to watch it if you want. And if you don't want to watch it, then don't watch it. Um, Anyway, I'm going to step down off my soapbox here. Just give me a second. (laughs) Feet firmly planted back on the ground now. Right. So we're going to move on to the song of the week. And this week, it's my choice. And I've chosen the song Brave New World by Iron Maiden, which is from the album of the same name, Brave New World. So I've chosen this song for a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, today, as we record this on Saturday, the 13th of June, I would have been going to see Iron Maiden play at the Download Festival. Uh, But obviously I'm not because we're not allowed to go to concerts at the moment. moment. So that's kind of quite a shame for me. But uh, I've chosen it for that reason. Uh, Also because the album turned 20 years old this year. And also because it's my favourite album of Iron Maiden. And I think uh, the lyrics kind of are slightly representative of where we're going now in society. It's opening back up a bit. Everything is kind of moving back to where we were. But it is going to be a new world that we enter into after this lockdown. Dying swans Twisted wings Beauty not needed here Lost my love Lost my life In this garden of fear I have seen Things in a lifetime 
there's it's a brave new world in lots of different ways really uh, some interesting lyrics uh, dying swans twisted wings beauty not needed here lost my love lost my life in this garden of fear what, what do you take from those lyrics <laughs> I don't have a notion, really, uh, what those lyrics are about. I mean, I've, I've listened to Bruce Dickinson doing interviews and stuff, um, and he's explained it. But I, I, do you know what? I don't actually really care what the lyrics are about. Um, to me, it's always been a really uplifting song uh, and an uplifting album. And yeah, the lyrics are quite dark, and Dying Swans and Twisted Wings is quite dark imagery. But it's also based on the Aldo Huxley book, Brave New World. So there's linkages with that, or links to that, in some of the lyrics. Um but yeah, I just I just think it's uh, when the chorus kicks in there, it's just an absolute belter. Okay, so moving on now with uh, the feckin' check-in, we're going to go on to culture. What's your cultural point for the week, Toomey? Okay, the cultural point of the week is a cultural hot topic at the moment. It is to do with J.K. Rowling's comments on people who menstruate and the fallout uh, of that. Um, so first of all, full disclosure, I have some personal beef with uh, J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> as you know, I'm a fan of Bitcoin and uh, about a month ago, uh, she put out a tweet asking the Bitcoiners out there to explain Bitcoin to her. And lots of the prominent uh, speakers or uh, thought leaders, for want of a better phrase, in Bitcoin uh, generously, I thought, uh, got back to her and tried to explain it to her in a kind of concise way to try and get her interested in it. But I found her reaction to that very dismissive. And she said things like, there's lots of people trying to explain Bitcoin and they're all her. She was alluding to them all being like over the top and crazy and fanatics. And she was kind of making some flippant comments about Bitcoin. So I was personally slighted about that. <laughs> OK, so this is where and then leading into her comments, then you had this in your back pocket. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was waiting to pounce for my time to, to get J.K. Rowling. Well, she did it to herself. Um, she commented on an article, as I'm sure most people are aware, if they've seen this, um, that the world should be a better place for people who menstruate. And she pointed out the phrase, people who menstruate. Um, we used to have a word for that. And then she kind of flippantly says, like she has some different spellings of the word woman. Yeah, some little diminutive words for women. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, like, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and I originally thought, when I first heard it, uh, I was actually like, oh, maybe she's she's right. Maybe people who menstruate is actually uh, too far or I, it doesn't really make sense or it's not a phrase that everyone uses. So I was like, oh, what's, what's the fuss over this? But then you look into it a bit more and it was actually uh, a pointed comment by J.K. Rowling because the author of the article was obviously trying to be more inclusive of trans people, uh, trans women who can actually menstruate due to the medication and the treatments they undergo. Um, so by using the term people who menstruate, you're being more inclusive by including women and trans women. And so she was called out for it, but she had her chance to apologize, to back down. And she actually doubled down and she went into an essay explaining herself. And for the first time, she revealed her own history of being the victim of um, spousal abuse, um, being in a violent previous relationship that she, she, she was said she was found very hard to get out of but felt it was taking the attention away from her being sort of caught out so so then it became like that cognitive distance thing if you give out if you disagree with uh, jk rowling are you justifying uh, people who abuse um and it conflated the whole argument because he brought in the whole her own history um on top of it as well so, so she went for the kevin spacey defense uh, which reminds me of the chewbacca defense from south park oh god where he was accused <laughs> where he was accused of uh, inappropriate sexual behavior with uh, i think it was an underage man and then he just 
came out and said he was gay. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to, to take the, to, to take the uh, focus away from the crime that he had allegedly committed and to shift the focus onto him, uh, to, to try and shine a sympathetic light onto him uh, to, de- to defer the attention away from the real issue at her. Yeah, and she kind of ha- she was trying to make out that she was waiting to reveal her background or what happened to her. And um, I'm, obviously we're all very sorry to hear what happened to her. Um, and there's nobody... Uh, it just goes without saying that nobody condones spousal abuse. Uh, yes, of course. But uh, to, to make... To just the kind of insincerity of bringing it out to deflect from when you're being caught out for for being arguably transphobic uh, yeah and uh, did she, i i i looked into it somewhat but not massively did she have uh, an issue with a trans person previously or did a trans person come into a, a toilet or something like that or no. is this just born out of a fear of it happening rather than an experience of it having happened her her point of view is that women have been the victims women specifically have been the victims of of abuse from males through like over a long period of time and that if you allow in her opinion people who are sort of originally male or before they transitioned they were male into female spaces then you're putting her under threat and she also wanted to highlight the specific um misogyny that women uh, as opposed to trans women have been this have been the victims of so that's her kind of her whole point okay all right um the safety thing. I don't know where I stand on that one, really. Um, should we allow birthed pe- people who were born as male... Birthed? What the fuck? Should we allow people who were born as male into female toilets? I don't know. Um, some countries have unisex toilets. I, I don't know what the statistics are. If it increases crime, I'm not sure. Um, I have no problem with somebody writing an article with the title People Who Menstruate. But I also wouldn't have a problem if somebody wrote the same article and said women. I, I wouldn't be offended by either of those um if either of those headlines really uh i don't think it would be bad or deemed as not being inclusive to just write the word women i don't think that's a bad thing but i also don't think it's a bad thing to try and make it open to trans people either uh but uh, yeah i don't know about the whole um toilets thing (laughs) well there's there's no evidence and one of the reasons is if you think of all of the steps that a trans woman has to take to to become a trans woman, all the, like the medications, uh, it takes years, the operations. So if you were going through all of that just to get into a female toilet to, to, <laughs> to start t- attacking yeah. women or trying to rape them, but it's I a bit impossible. Her, I think her point of view, and maybe the Graeme Linehan point of view, controversial, yeah. is that uh, <laughs> if, you, if you open it up to trans people, then non trans people masquerading as trans people will start going in, and then that's when the crime will start. So a man in a wig or something, dressed up as a woman, uh, going in with the purpose of c- committing a criminal act rather than an actual trans woman. Okay, I hadn't thought about well, that. I, that's what I take. That's what my take from the multitude of stuff that Graham Linehan has been spouting. <laughs> He's and, dedicated uh, his whole career to this for some reason. <laughs> some of the stuff that J.K. Rowling has been saying, but again, I, I I haven't researched it in depth either. But I think that's where it's coming from. It's this fear of once we open the floodgates, then bad things will start to happen. I think it's opportunistic sexual predators who will take advantage of this new um, allowance of trans people into the, the female toilet. I think that's what they're allegedly worried about. But if they are worried about that, then you could work around that. If, you're, if that does become an issue, and there's no evidence of that, but if that does become an issue, then we could change the toilets like situation. Yeah, and, 
A man could dress up as a woman right now and go into the female toilets. Exactly. Uh, That's it. Exactly. They've had the opportunity to do that for years. Um, Any man could dress up as a female and go into any toilet. And they could have done that 50 years ago if they wanted. So that's absolute uh, nonsense. Poppycock. Poppycock, yeah. So they can sling their smarmy hooks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Well, interesting discussion there. Um, Right. So let's move on to my culture point of the week. And this is about a cashless cashless society. Um, So somebody posted on Twitter on our um, feck and check in Twitter uh, feed. I, I was reading through some of the tweets there the other day. And it was a question, it was a poll. When was the last time you used cash? And I had to think to myself when the last time I used cash was. And I, be- I believe, other than one transaction from an ATM, I, I lost a bet to my housemate Maya. Um, and I don't think she was expecting me to honour the bet, but I did anyway, and I paid her €20 Euro in cash. Um, but other than that, I don't think I've used cash since the start of March uh, 2020, which wow. is the longest period I've gone in my life without using cash. Um, and I was wondering, are you the same? Uh, would you use cash still this th- these days? Like, I do use cash the odd time. I just seem to have cash in my wallet. More of a hindrance now, though. It's kind of, if someone owes me money, I end up having the cash there. And it, it sort of lies in my wallet then for like three or four months. And I'm trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Like, so, it's, so it's so useless. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I have a little um, change box uh, by my bed like one of those old coin metal tin things that I used to put my change into and I used to as a rule put anything lower than a, a one euro coin in there and it used to fill up and then you'd exchange it for notes or whatever down the line but that's just been sitting there like you said useless for months now I haven't added to it I haven't taken anything out of it I don't spend cash at all anymore uh, when I'm taking public transport it's on a leap card when I'm paying for anything in a shop I use my um my debit card the cashless transaction limit recently increased from 30 to 50 euro but if you have google pay on your phone i think the limit is actually 150 euro so and i i don't the only time i think actually i need to use cash is for taxis but i haven't obviously got any taxis anywhere recently but uh, i just think it's it's fascinating our friend mark will be very interested in this as well previous <laughs> guest on the feck and check and he's been going on about this for years <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he used to work in payments but i just think it's it, to me I I took a I was shocked when I realized when I looked at my actual recent history that I haven't actually used cash in months and I can't see myself having to use it other than maybe getting a taxi but that's going to change as well a lot of taxis all uh, have um have contactless payment facilities now and or else you can order them on the app in advance it's really only when I'd be flagging one down on the street but like I I don't really ever see myself using cash again wow and I heard a, a statement from a, a a Bitcoin speaker called Andreas Antonopoulos, and he was actually saying all of the children born today will never experience cash or they'll never use cash in their lives. That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I, I was just thinking, the only thing I can think of are like events, like weddings or something like that. Like people aren't yeah. going to have a contactless uh, uh, portal at the wedding where you can tap your card <laughs> and give your wedding gift. Well, maybe they will <laughs> in, in 20 well, years. But um, well, At weddings, that's one of the maybe the main inefficient things isn't it like you you got married and like i would say that's very anxiety provoking collecting all that money and trying to to get it into the bank and stuff it is actually and i remember the day after the wedding i had like a massive wad of cash like thousands of euro and different currencies as well people were giving us dollars and sterling because we were going to america and, and england on our honeymoon and uh, i had like several thousand 
in multiple different currencies on me uh, the day after in the hotel and I was really anxious about it getting robbed um, and then I actually got a taxi from the hotel the next day right to the door of the bank deposited it and got the taxi back to the hotel because it was really i was, had so much anxiety about having that much money on me which i'd never had on me before uh, ever so yeah there is a lot of anxiety when you have like if i'm walking around with more than 300 euro in my wallet or something which rarely happens but for a specific purpose i'm edgy walking around town i don't feel safe i, I feel like i'm going to get robbed more so as if people know i have the money or something yeah and i think i think it's really uh dangerous to, to have that much cash and i think maybe weddings is the only uh setting or the only uh, instance where i could see cash maintaining for a while because you want to give someone the tangible gift of the cash or yeah it's really hard to transfer someone money it's it, that seems even colder than remember people used to give presents and that was seen as the the thing for weddings now it's it changed to cash um but you probably give the cash in a nice card and put in a nice message now it could be like yeah I've transferred uh, 200 euro to you on, on revolut <laughs> on revolut yeah <laughs> The bride and groom would have to set up an account. Yeah, just transfer the money straight in there. Yeah, that's really what you want at the end of the day, though. Yeah. Want to recoup your expenses. Exactly. That would be the most efficient. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just yeah. thought that was interesting. And, I, and, yeah, I don't really see myself, other than those a couple of instances that I mentioned, like taxis and weddings, I can't really see myself using it again. I, I, I can't see when I might do it. Larger purchases I make online anyway, or you can make by card where you put in your pin in the shop. Um and then smaller ones, it's just contactless. Yeah, and are, can I just ask, are you a Revolut man? I am. I find it quite convenient for things like if you pick up something in the shop for somebody, they just give you the money straight away, or as if you're splitting a bill or something like that, or throwing somebody money for a taxi or something. I find it's really convenient for all of that stuff, and obviously the foreign exchange aspects of it as well. But I don't use it day to day. I like I use it maybe once or twice a week, but very convenient though. Yeah, I'm just getting into it myself and I could already see the advantages of it. I'm a bit of a latecomer to it. Um, but um, with the foreign exchange uh, point that you made there, it, it kind of, if you think of like the way cash was, it was each country had their own reserves of cash and a certain amount of cash that they would, the, the banks would dispense. Now it, it kind of, it takes away the need for like countries to have their own currency if everything is digital um what's the point in having like your own specific cash in your own like different country right you are right okay. okay so moving on to the final section of the feck and check-in this is k for kernels of truth can you give us your kernel of truth for the week please to me yes my kernel of truth is a quote from a um speaker um i don't know what the right word is people who go around saying stuff <laughs> A speaker. <laughs> a speaker. Expert in technology and the future of society. I don't know what you call those people. Anyway. Uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> he said in, a, in response to a question that was asked to him in an online uh, Zoom kind of conference thing, he said in response to a question about the future, he said, the question is not what's the future of work, but what's the future of leisure? And what he was referring to there is, well, now we have uh, the increase of remote working, so people are in, in work less, and we all probably have a slightly more free time uh, because we don't have commutes going into the, the city every day and stuff. Um, he's saying that that's only the start. What we're going to have in the future, uh, and lots of people have said this, is that robots and AI and technology will take over most of the work that that we have like so most like he thinks over 50 percent of the work that's done now will be done by technology so he says the question is what what will we actually do with our spare time when we have a future where there's there's no work work is not commonplace 
Um, so I thought that was interesting that we'll have to think about what are we going to be doing in our leisure time rather than work time. Yeah, that is an interesting spin on what we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, are we going to be working from home? But yeah, what else are we going to be doing? Have you heard about the concept of universal basic income? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So he was saying that in the future, because uh, work gives so many people, so much people meaning that if you take away work from the masses and that will happen, that they're going to be in search for some sort of meaning and there's going to be a divide between the people who are working and the people who are off working. Like, what are the people who are not working going to do? And he thinks instead of having universal basic income, you could have conditional basic income, whereby you pay people on the basis that they contribute to society through volunteer work or just general things that do good for the society. And he thinks mm. that will increase the solidarity of human beings in the future where most of us are not working. It seems like a kind of a... Not quite a dystopian future, but it seems like um, a film like set in, I don't know, 2200 or something like that. Uh, it's sci-fi. Nobody's doing any work. They're just walking around in boiler suits and uh, <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> well, it depends who controls the society, the um, technology. If the, if, if the technology is concentrated in the hands of a small number of, of wealthy people and they get all the profits from the work and they get all the wealth and the power, then it could become dystopian where it's like they have all these AI robots attacking the masses and we're all trying to to uh, get the resources back off them. Mad Max type of situation. You could say that it's a brave new world. Uh, very good. Right, you are. Okay, so let's move on to the final point at the feckin' check-in. This is my kernel of truth for the week. And this is a quote from Mark Twain, a very well-known quote, but I think it's relevant to some of the things we've been discussing on this episode. And the quote is, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Ah, yes, very good. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, My thoughts are that in this current climate, with all the stuff that's happening in the news, people are quite quick to give their opinion on things. And because everything is out there in in public, on Twitter and on Facebook, I think a lot of times people maybe feel pressurized into giving an opinion and forced into responding or replying to something when they haven't fully formed an opinion and then they say the thing that they think at the time and that might not really be how they feel and I have been conscious of that on this episode about giving my opinion about things but I think I am happy with what I've said because I did give it some thought beforehand so I I, I wasn't decisively saying definite things um, on a couple of the topics and that's because I haven't fully formed an opinion on them but I think nowadays with social media and the internet really I think a lot of people feel pressurized into forming an opinion immediately on something and then maybe saying the wrong thing or something they don't really think and then like with the JK Rowling thing then they double down when they're attacked um, because they don't want to look like an idiot as they so they, they feel people I think feel they need to defend their opinion strongly and I think there's a large contingent of people out there especially on Twitter who will never change their mind no matter how much you argue with them um, because it's seen as a weakness so I think maybe it's it's not a bad quote to bear in mind when one feels like one is being forced to re- respond to something or have an opinion on something immediately just because it's topical and in the news yeah, I think so. And I think there's a difference between giving an opinion based on your area of expertise and giving an opinion based on something that you don't know about. And I think the latter is you is commonplace in society now, especially with celebrities giving their opinion on all kinds of societal and cultural issues like the JK Rowling. There was one, there was one uh, with CNBC was reporting on the JK Rowling issue and they were quoting 
different celebrities' responses to J.K. Rowling. And so they were saying, this is what Daniel uh, Radcliffe said. And we're going to bring you true to what Harry Potter himself has said. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they framed us. Harry Potter himself has oh. said the following about J.K. Rowling. Was, they said it with a straight face. I was like, what? Oh, my God. And then you've got all the other characters, the ancillary characters in the Harry Potter films, given their two cents as well. And yeah. then, like, if you if you remain silent on it, on it you're almost a villain. Like, yeah. uh, you, you have to say something. So people are like, fuck, what do I think? I don't know. Right, say what everyone else is saying. Or say the opposite. One of those two, that'll do. I think, to look at it a slightly different way, and maybe devil's advocate, uh, to, to finish off the show, <laughs> um, maybe this, I would imagine this quote comes from the past because... Back in, let's say, the 1970s, 1980s. Well, I think it comes from the, like the 1880s, so it's, it's an, old, an old one. Okay. That that was very much the way it was. Like, with the older people in your family, they were the ones who had the expert opinions. And you, as a youngster growing up, shouldn't really open your mouth or spout an opinion because you're just a little shit in the yeah, family. That's the way society was back then. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And not, not, not necessarily correct either. Um so that, yeah. was, that was probably the opposite extreme, and now we've gone the other way, too much the other way. There you have it. That's us in 2020. Um, okay. Right you be. Right you are, yes. Okay, that's it really for this week's Feck and Check-In. Um, plenty of discussion there, and maybe we won't be so preachy next week. <laughs> 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 I feel like this is a latter-day episode of South Park where like, it's fucking preach central and uh, like soapbox mania. So we might try and do a bit more of a lighthearted episode next week. Um, yeah, maybe. Well, I think we're experimenting with talking about these controversial issues. I actually think it's better to spout our opinion rather than ignore these things because I think they're interesting. And even if we're wrong, at well, least- no. See, see, I, I like. I would be open to discussion on on all of these topics. I don't have a f- massively formed opinion where I'm steadfast in it and I'm not going to change my fucking mind no matter how much you argue with me. So if people respond and they say, well, what about this? And present a reasonable counter opinion. I'm I'm well open to that. So I don't think we're in the bracket of people just lashing stuff up, stuff up on Twitter and, you know, defending it to the death. Uh, I'm certainly I'm certainly not that strongly opinionated on some of these issues. Yeah, you've got to be open to change your opinion. And we're not marketing ourselves as the, the experts or people who are delivering the truth on these issues. Um, so, exactly. Yeah. And that's our get right. out clause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, that's going to do it for the feckin' check in. Any final words to me? Feck off. Oh, woohoo.